Something like wanting more sex from a partner, not necessarily because you want the sex itself, but because you want to feel loved and appreciated by your partner. You want to feel sexy. And that's not a bad thing to want those things. But sometimes I think it's important to know, are you able to ask for those outside of sex? Are you able to get that outside of sex? Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about internal and external validation. We're looking at what does it really mean to validate someone or yourself? And we're going to talk about how both of those are important to healthy relationships and a healthy life, as well as some ways that you can work toward finding a better balance between the two in your own life. So to start out, what is validation? I mean, somebody's got to make the parking ticket joke, right? Oh, to validate what? Your oh, validate your parking. Just validating your parking. You know, in planning this episode, that never yeah. once came to mind. And really, it was a real missed yeah, opportunity. I saw a sketch once where yeah, a bunch of people were in line to get their parking validated, and of course they walk up and they're like, "Oh, right. can you validate me?" And the person is like, "Oh yeah, you're so kind and you're so giving and <laughs> all that stuff." That's adorable. That's great. Yeah. So what I found when looking at the articles and research and things about internal and external validation, it became clear that everyone wasn't talking about the same thing, or at least not in the same way. And hmm. I, I didn't find anyone else who made this distinction specifically, but I started to identify that there were essentially three different types of validation that people were talking about in either their research or in, you know, blogs by psychologists or, or coaches or therapists, you know, who were trying to offer people advice on internal and external validation, that it's like each one would usually be talking about one, maybe two of these three areas. And that's kind of what they meant by it. So I thought it would be useful for this episode to split it up into three sections and to talk about each of those, both internal and external versions of them, and then kind of what an extreme of internal looks like or an extreme of external looks like within that context. And then throughout the episode, we'll kind of get this larger picture of the landscape of, of talking about validation. The first of these three meanings is self-worth. So this essentially boils down to how external feedback as well as our own internal self-talk can affect our self-esteem, our confidence, and our general sense of worthiness as a person. Right. And then the next one is related to that, but a little bit different. And that's about our self-image. So not just our overall worth as a person, but specifically what qualities we identify in ourselves. Am I a brave person? Am I a kind person? Stuff like that based on feedback that we get from others, as well as from our own self-generated thoughts and things that we've decided about ourselves. So those questions of, am I generous? Am I smart? Am I chill? 
Am I responsible? Am I a trap shell? <laughs> I ask myself Emily, that all the time. Emily, Jace asks me that question all the time. He's seeking both internal and external validation on whether or not he is chill. Like, am I Got a it. chill okay. guy? Am I, am I a chill, cool guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's that those sorts of things. So it's more about the image of who you are as a person, not just your your value. And finally, the third thing here is self-compassion or self-understanding, which is the recognition of your own or another person's thoughts, feelings, sensations, and behaviors as understandable. Yeah. Understandable. Like relatable or like worthy of compassion? Yeah, essentially that. That that I know that we try to avoid using the word crazy on this show but it's that question of like am i crazy for having these thoughts like am i crazy for feeling this way or for doing what i did it's that kind of that kind of question so that kind of validation and we'll we'll talk about this more when we get into it more in depth but validation of yeah your experience is a valid one that the way you're feeling right now that makes sense and and i can understand how a person would feel the way that you feel right now so like validating those feelings as being understandable and acceptable i guess It's interesting to me that all of these are about self, and I guess that does make sense, but not that you are actively validating another, but rather that yourself is validated in these three separate ways. And also, all three of them can be influenced internally and externally. Externally, yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. All of these, I mean, we do give these things to other people and we influence other people as their external validators in all three of these different ways, just for the purpose of keeping them uniform with each other. They're all focused on the experience of each of us as an individual of how our self-worth or our self-image or our self-kind of acceptance or understanding are influenced by these external and internal types of validation. That makes sense. Okay. So while all of these are interconnected, we tend to focus on different things when we're talking about them. So we're going to look at all three in turn. So let's start with self-worth. Yeah. So self-worth also could be called self-confidence or self-esteem. There's a professor named Elizabeth R. Thornton who reports that in her research, I don't know the details of this research, but, but what she wrote is that in her research... 55% of people reported that their self-worth was often, more often, or always tied to what others think. And that's a pretty high number and a high amount of importance we put on what other people think of us. But I'm also not surprised at all. I'm like, yeah, totally, totally. I actually, I'm more surprised that it's so close to being 50-50. That feels actually pretty realistic to me. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that it's that it's 50-50 like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess let's talk about a little bit why that might be, why it might be a little bit higher or even 50-50 or why this realistic, yeah, I guess comparison between like external and internal or tied to what others think, why that's happening. So when you're a kid, a little baby person, your entire existence depends on others and rejection by could mean literal death for you. I think, especially, you know, in the wild, this happens to animals. (laughs) While this outcome doesn't happen to most people, there's an instinctual and evolutionary reason why others' opinion of us is important. So, yeah, if somebody is going to, like, leave you be for days at a time, then you could literally die if you were a small person. So you need them to love you and care for you in order to stay alive. 
And it's not even limited to being a a young person, but to a certain extent, you know, evolving to be social creatures, there is also that further implication that if we're dependent on others and dependent on the tribe or dependent on other people around us, that does mean that if we're rejected by other people that we could possibly die. Maybe we Mm -hmm. have better chances than we would if we were a baby, but the stakes are still pretty high. Yeah, so it's unrealistic to think that we could ever just completely remove the importance of external validation. We're social beings, like you said, and we care about the opinion of others because it's important to our interactions with those other people. Yeah, I think that that part is so key that I think a lot of times when people start talking about internal and external validation in this way, there's almost kind of this assumption that oh, well, you need to just have internal validation and don't worry about external validation and try to get away from caring what other people think, right? That whole, like, don't care what other people think. And I think that while that advice is often good, because most of us, I think, care arguably too much much. (laughs) about what other people think, and we project a lot onto what they're thinking that they might not actually be thinking about us, but we don't actually want to get rid of this entirely because it is important that as humans, we do care about what other people think, and we may modify our behavior a little bit because of that, and that's important, right? That's going to help us fit in better in the workplace, help us fit in with our social circle, help us be more understanding and compassionate to people. It's like, this isn't something we want to erase entirely. However, if completely left unexamined, then it can cause us to end up dependent on that external feedback. Essentially, we could end up being just blown around on the breeze of everybody else's opinions about us or offhanded comments about us, positive or negative, and also regardless of how accurate they actually are. And so to contrast that, having a sense of internal validation that influences your self-worth, it, you know, it would be maintaining that I have a sense of worthiness as a person, even if I've had a negative interaction or some kind of falling out or some kind of disagreement with someone or I've made a mistake Or at least it's having the ability to handle that emotional blow without just completely falling apart. Yeah, what does this unhealthy reliance on external validation look like? So here's an extreme, maybe narcissism or antisocial behavior, things like disregard for other people's feelings or a feeling of like, it's me against everyone else. I've definitely met people who are say stuff like that it's me against the world but in a way that's kind of super negative yeah that if you don't have enough of an internal validation in this way it's like well what am i going to do i need to protect myself against how much i'm affected by everyone else and and that one possible outcome of that is is this right it's just like well it's everyone else against me i'm the good guy and everyone else is the bad guy then so now that we have a sense of what this version of self-validation or external validation is about, this kind of, am I worthy as a person? We can look at what happens if, like Jedeker said, if you let that get out of hand, if you don't examine that, if you don't look at it, right? We, we do, it is important to care what other people think, but if we care too much and don't have enough of an internal sense of worth or have been just given too many signs that we're easily abandonable, or not lovable or something like that, it can lead to some maladaptive behaviors as a defense mechanism for that. Yeah, so on one end of this kind of extreme is that you can develop narcissism or antisocial behavior. 
essentially means a disregard for others' feelings or a feeling of me against the world or against everyone else. Uh, the way to feel better about myself is to put other people down, just constantly doing that, or protect myself by uh, lowering or dehumanizing others because we're worried about criticism that might be happening. Let's see. Also, these people might appear to have high, th- high self-esteem, but it's actually a result of a very low self-esteem and self-worth. Yeah, I, I feel like I've well, I mean, I'll be totally honest. I don't want to necessarily demonize anybody because I've fallen into these traps before myself, right? So I don't necessarily want to make it seem like, oh, it's just all these bad people. But I've also met some real jerks okay. <laughs> who who seem to operate from this place, maybe seeming to exude a lot of confidence, confidence and a lot yeah. of high self-esteem. But the reality is that's a very fragile structure that requires you know, really having to insulate yourself from any criticism, or if you get any criticism or any kind of negative interaction with somebody really needing to attack that person or put them down in order to preserve your sense of self. Yeah, the types of people who never take a note or, you know, everything is somebody else's fault or somebody else's problem rather than being able to say, huh, okay, maybe I need to examine that or whatever. It's interesting because there are definitely some people out there who simply will not take criticism or, you know, choose not to believe it at all. And every every problem is somebody else else's problem. And I think kind of what we're getting at here, though, that we don't want to demonize these people. Because even though, like, that behavior is is very destructive and often hurtful to the people around, and that the point, though, is that it comes from trying to find some way to defend against mm. how much that external validation does affect them. And mm. unfortunately, instead of being able to find resources for themselves to, to, you know, to find a little more resilience and self-validation and self-worth in that way, whether that's because of things from their childhood or, you know, whether it's something they can learn to think a little differently about, like Dedeker said, you know, you veered into that territory at points in your life and I think we can all relate to pieces of it sometimes when you're feeling especially fragile. It's like those are the times you lash out and you get defensive or you put down other people to try to make yourself feel better. But it all comes from this very deep fear and and vulnerability mm-hmm. to those things that it's like trying to be strong, but doing it in this destructive way, unfortunately. There's an interesting study that I came across that was looking at narcissistic behavior versus the behavior of people with high self-esteem. And I'm not sure exactly how they went about measuring or finding those participants, but one of the big identifiers or big differences that they found, because you know some of the behaviors seem similar on the outside, but in actuality, one of the key differences was that a person with a high self-esteem feels you know good about themselves and is willing to... to boost themselves up, but also boost up their romantic partners and other people around mm-hmm. them versus a narcissist who feels like they the only way to boost themselves up is to put down other people. And so you might think, oh, that's self-confidence, but whether they're lifting others up with them or not is kind of the marker of whether it's a destructive that's a good distinction. self-esteem yeah, or a real very important distinction. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then the other extremes, right? That's the narcissist or the sort of antisocial behavior as a defense mechanism. And on the other side, we have the people pleaser. And I think... It me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I I think <laughs> I've I've I tend to go more on this side than the antisocial narcissist I side. I do. But I've but I think I've dabbled in both <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so this one is again that fear of of abandonment or not being loved, you know, over-reliance on that external validation and so it leads to things like being afraid of expressing their true self. They may not even know who they really are or like what they like or what their interests or opinions even are because they're so used to just following the lead of others, trying to to fit in, trying to conform, you know, and 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 just they might not even know. Like they're not even willingly going against it, they just don't even know. And tend to be more likely to be codependent on romantic partners again for understandable reasons and this lack of ability to say no. And I think that could show up in a workplace of just taking on any assignment that's given to you, even if you don't have the capacity to handle it, and then you end up taking the brunt of it instead of your coworkers. Or it can show up in romantic relationships, of course, as we've talked about many times on this show, of just always, you know, feeling like your no isn't an option because the consequence would be abandonment and, you know, all those things we talked about. Right. Those are the extreme ends of the spectrum. But of course, in between, in the middle area of the spectrum, we have other behaviors that can still be a sign of too much reliance on external validation. So we have some examples here. These aren't 100% bad. They're quite normal. We've all been here. But it's a good thing to examine. If you have an over-reliance on some of these behaviors, then you might be masking a lack of internal validation. So that can include things being addicted to attention on social media or getting positive feedback on social media, other attention-seeking behaviors. It can include flirting, hooking up, or otherwise trying to get romantic or sexual attention for the sake of feeling good about yourself rather than a genuine interest in those things. And I think that's a little fuzzy because Hmm. we can seek flirting, we can seek sex, we can seek connection and intimacy for many, many reasons at the same time, you know, and often it's it's murky, it's not always just the one reason, but, you know, with some self-awareness, you can examine yourself and kind of really look at, am I turning to this because I am interested in it, or am I turning to this because I'm feeling really low right now Mm. and need just a real quick boost to how I'm feeling about myself? It could include something like wanting more sex from a partner, not necessarily because you want the sex itself, but because you want to feel loved and appreciated by your partner. You want to feel sexy. And that's not a bad thing to want those things. But sometimes I think it's important to know, are you able to ask for those outside of sex? Are you able to get that outside of sex? This is something that is often very gendered, specifically with straight men are often really socialized to only be able to get like attention, love, affection, being seen as sexy or desirable through sex. Mm -hmm. And that leads to a lot of, I think, a lot of the tropes that we hear about like sexual dynamics and a lot of straight relationships where men are only seeking these things through sex. So that's something to think about as well. And again, while enjoying these things isn't necessarily bad, the negative side comes from the dependency. So if you notice a decrease in well-being when you aren't getting these sources of external validation, that's something to pay attention to. Or if you're finding that you keep needing more and more and more and more, almost like an addiction where it's not really scratching the itch, that's also something to pay attention to. 
So if you listened to us talk about this and felt like, hey, maybe this is me a couple in a couple of these, I, I definitely did. I was like, yep, done that, done that, done that. <laughs> oh, yeah, check, me too. Check, check, yeah. check. Yeah, check, 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 and check. Yeah, and you feel like, hey, this is maybe something that I want to change about myself. It is possible because our brains are capable of change if we are able to self-examine and put in the work. So... The first step is to just recognize that, you know, you heard this, you recognize those thoughts and feelings, and you see that they're happening and that they are deeply rooted in us because of what happened to us in our young age. Any of our experiences of abandonment or a variety of other experiences may have caused uh, a need for external validation, maybe an intense need. Which... To clarify, this is not to say this can only happen if you had some very traumatic abandonment as a child. It's like, no, no, no. Growing up as a human being with human parents or caregivers, of course. you will have some instances of feeling abandoned, especially as a child who doesn't understand the larger context of things. So we, we've all got this in us, maybe yeah. to greater degrees because of certain experiences, but it's all it's there in all of us. Yeah, and recognize that others' reactions to us actually has much more to do with themselves than it does with us. That's something that I feel like I've really had to learn over the years, that, you know what, like, this is a you problem, not a mm. me problem. And I've been able to say that a lot more recently than I did even, you know, five years ago. But somebody, you know, may have an adverse reaction to you, not because of something intrinsic to you, but because you have a similar trait to someone who hurt them in the past. Or they might just be having a bad day, and the reaction to us has more to do with that than to anything that we said. I have to remind myself that at work a lot. Like, if somebody's kind yeah. of mean to me, I'm like, you know what? They're probably just having a rough day. I don't take it personally. One of the most valuable things that my therapist ever said to me was, you know, sometimes you just end up on the receiving end of someone else's trauma. Yeah. And I think about that a lot. And I think about that both with like big T trauma and little T trauma, that it's like sometimes you just end up the recipient of maybe an inappropriate reaction, you know, or a reaction that is appropriate, but also overblown and like way bigger or way higher octane than it needs to be. And that doesn't mean not taking any responsibility for your actions or your influence or things like that. But for me, that's been a really, really helpful reminder whenever I feel like someone is reacting to me or criticizing me in a way that I feel is unfair to help put that in perspective. Yeah. Something that, speaking of advice that really stood out in our lives, something that my mom told me back when I was in high school, and I forget how we got on this subject, but it was something about feeling like people were unfriendly to me in the hallway or like no one liked me or something like that. I guess nothing's changed. I was going to uh, say, what's changed, I'm like, Jace? wait, Jeez. that's like something you say now. <laughs> Gosh, Jays. But I am better than I was back then. But what she said to me is, was basically to to be the one to sort of make the first move in terms of just like smiling or saying hi or waving to someone, you know, if it's someone that you know or whatever, because they're like, because they're probably feeling the same way you are. And it was just kind of that getting me out of this very self-centered view of the world of everything that everyone is doing is because of what they think about me versus yeah. they're just in their, in their own heads as much as I am. And just kind of, that was a pretty radical shift that I've, over the many years since then, I've tried to remind myself of, 
when interacting with people. It's like, yeah, if I'm having a bad day and feeling hurt by things people do, who knows what kind of day they're having? You know, who who yeah. knows how I'm affecting their day? You know, it's just it it ripples out much bigger than just our own self-centered experience. So if you want to hear us talk a little bit more about stuff like this, then go back to our two-part episode on shame, episodes 281 and 282, to hear about how to balance taking feedback in a constructive way with feeling unnecessary shame about yourself in the process. We talk a lot about that on that episode, on those two episodes. So we're going to go on to talk about validation as it relates to our self-image and also in terms of self-compassion and understanding. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some ways that you can support this show. Visiting our sponsors or checking out our Patreon really does a lot to help us keep bringing this show to all of y'all out there for free. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back to talk about self-image. So to reiterate from what we said at the beginning of the episode, this is rather than being just about overall self-worth or your ability to be you know, loved and cared for and not abandoned, this is more about how we shape our idea of who we are in the world, how we relate to other people? What are our traits? You know, am I, am I chill? As I said before, <laughs> you know, and this is something that was really interesting for me to learn about. So there was a uh, sociologist named Charles Horton Cooley who coined the term the looking glass self in 1902 in a text called Human Nature and the Social Order. Oh, yeah. So back when we did call them looking glasses, I suppose. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's not just, he's not being all vintagey. He was just being current. Oh, 1902. Okay. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So the, the looking glass self essentially is describing that as we're developing the sense of who we are, we're doing that based on the feedback that we get from other people. So that we, like, we think about ourselves as being the thing that we think others think about us. Mm. And in his research, he wasn't even putting it 
to be cheeky in terms of, oh, well, we just think that we are what we think that other people think that we are. He's actually saying, no, very literally, we are often right about what people think of us, because often we do get fairly direct feedback about that of, you know, oh, wow, you're so tall, or you're so strong, or, you know, ah, oh, yeah, there you are, always late, or like, mm, you're always so clumsy, aren't you? Like, in, in positive mm -hmm. and negative ways, we get that kind of feedback, and that's how we develop our sense of who we are, what our traits are, what our qualities are. And that the impact that other people's opinions of us has is stronger the more, quote, ascendant over us they are, which basically means if they have higher status than us. Interesting. Or if we, or if we perceive them to have higher status than yes, us? Yes, if, if we perceive them to be above us in some way, to have higher status than us, whether that's just because it's a peer we look up to or because it actually is someone in a status position above us, like a boss or a parent or a teacher or something like that, or an older person, you know, an older kid growing up, mm. that we, we tend to weight those more strongly. So the looking glass self comprises three main components. The first being that we imagine how we must appear to others in a social situation. The second being that we imagine and react to what we feel their judgment of that appearance must be. And then third, we develop our sense of self and then respond through these perceived judgments of others. So it's like a weird feedback loop yeah. that really doesn't yeah. require actually anybody else but yourself to populate, <laughs> mm. which is maybe the scary part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Interesting. So that was a while ago, way back in 1902. But since then, other researchers have continued to study and develop this theory of how we develop a self-identity. Now, I will say we are doing an episode on identity Next, next week. week. Yeah. So we're going to do more about this and how to develop, how one does develop self-identity. But uh, in 1974 and 1975, King To Young and John Levi Martin from the Rutgers University Department of Sociology it did a study in 1974 and 1975 to try to find empirical evidence to further test this hypothesis. And essentially, they wanted to test if people see themselves based on how others perceive them to see if that impact is more significant when coming from someone you perceive as higher status than yourself, and importantly, if it can go the other way. So can our own self-image affect the way others see us over time? I think absolutely. But but, but I think, okay, yeah, this makes sense now, because yeah, in 1902, you could just be like, this is the case, and I'm going to write it down because I'm a man, and I'm going to write it in a book, and it's just true. And right. then at least by the <laughs> 70s, we're like, is that actually true? Let's apply some science. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well done. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, so, so what they did for this study is they analyzed perceptions of social interactions in 56 naturally occurring communities and intentional communities, which in this case were communes, because this happened during the 70s. So there you go. Oh. Uh, essentially by what I'm assuming they mean by naturally occurring communities is just maybe peer groups that formed around some common interest or, or something like that, right? Something where they've just naturally come together. And then also looked at intentional communities, specifically carved themselves out as a community. The groups consisted primarily of young adults. The median age was 25, so definitely, you know, young adults. And they collected data in 1974 and then again in 75 so that they could compare how things changed over mm. that year. Over a year, yeah. 
And uh, some of the communities disbanded during that year. I was going to say communes, of course. Uh, yeah, yes, I can famously. imagine, you know, also like your D&D group falls apart or something and you're not all together anymore. It can happen. But they, were, they did still have enough data to, to compare those two. And so the size of the communities ranged from 5 to 40 individuals in each one, with 10 as the average size. And we had, remember, we had 56 of these. So we've got a mm-hmm. pretty decent chunk of people. And what they did is they gave each member of a community a three-part questionnaire. Part one asked them to name the members of their group that had personal qualities, that had specific personal qualities, such as being supportive, decisive, influential, loving, strong, sexy, dominant, et cetera, et cetera. Just identify who do you think of identifies, or you know, who would you identify as having these traits? And then part two, they were asked if they believed they themselves possessed these qualities. So like, which of hmm. these do you also possess? And then part three asked them questions about the how they related to those people. Essentially getting at the, do I view this person as being significant in my life? Are they more powerful than I am in this relationship? Or are we equals? You know, essentially trying to get to the heart of that question of, of them being ascendant over you. This feels like it would be a really weird and also fascinating exercise to do, thinking about some of my own communities right? yeah, that I'm a <laughs> part of. <laughs> Maybe a little uncomfortable at times. Yeah. Yeah. I know, or like, yeah, workplace, for example, like my work and like mm. your work, Jace, where right. there's a lot of people. It'd be interesting. I, I would be fascinated to, yeah, to know yeah. what people thought. So, so basically, the important thing to take away from this is that because they did this in fixed size communities, they were able to sort of cross-reference that information. So they had information not only about what people thought the traits were they had but also how many other people identified them as a person who had that trait. So it allowed them mm. to see both how they, how they saw others and then how much people's individual perceptions matched what other people thought of them. I see. Okay. So the primary findings of the study were that self-understanding is indeed, at least to some extent, an internalization of the views that others have of oneself. And they also found that self-conception, or perhaps as you know, what we're calling self-image, that also does involve the inter- internalization of the perspective of others. And yes, it is significant if it's from others who we see as being higher status than ourselves. So there was an interesting bit about gender here. Cooley originally hypothesized that women were more likely to concern themselves with others' perceptions of them. Okay. Uh, young it was 1902. And- 1902. No, this yeah. was not what he this saw. Was, oh, no, oh, Cooley. Oh, Cooley yeah, oh, okay. is 1902. Yes. Then fine. Okay. Yes. Okay. I <laughs> will give him a pass this time. <laughs> you don't have to give him a pass. We'll just, let's just be aware of the context. Yes. So Young and Martin find that while the looking glass effect was higher in women of their sample, it is because of the relationship between status and gender And this is a quote, hence it seems that the reason the looking glass effect is stronger among women than among men can be adequately explained simply by virtue of the lower status women have in these groups on average. If women are more concerned about social image than men on average, this may simply be because they are less powerful on average. The gender psychology imputed by Cooley need not be invoked. 
fascinating yeah so they and, were basically like let's just not make that one about gender <laughs> let's just we've yeah, we've I, mathematically sort of zeroed that one out here huh but yeah I, I wondered so in these intentional communities the idea that the women have less status than men uh, i mean yeah whenever i think about being a man i'm like i don't know if i'd want to but i i wouldn't mind the power that ha- being a man yeah. gives men yeah well, well, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, I don't know how they're they're necessarily codifying status mm-hmm. in this study, but I. It's just based yes, on people's is. answers to those questions of Do I perceive this person to have more power than me in this relationship? Interesting. So it's all just based oh, on yeah. people's self-reported relative to each other. So they're saying that right. all these men have a lot of status and are they're, they're self-reporting are perceived perceived to have more status, right? But, I mean, that's fine. I don't think anyone would argue that in 1902 or 1975 or 2021 that women women are perceived to have less power and less status than men are. And often it is true. Yes, on average. Right. For sure. So this last part is the really cool finding that added to Cooley's work, that this is not something that he had, I guess, been able to look at or really study. And that's the question of, is it possible to not just have our own perception of ourselves influenced by others, but can our own perception influence the way other people think about us? And so this is what's cool about them doing this same thing two years in a row, that essentially they were able to look at, is there a trait that someone thinks about themselves that other people did not identify with them, that then by the next year, other people did identify that trait with them? And they found that the effect of someone's belief about themselves on other people's responses the following year was positive for every one of the 24 characteristics that they studied, and especially significant in 16 of those. So essentially saying it's very unlikely that there's not a relation there, right? That it does seem to be a causation. That Hmm. essentially the idea is, if I think of myself as being, say, reliable or brave— and other people don't identify me as that, but then I believe that about myself, and so I continually demonstrate it, that then eventually others will start to have that opinion of me. Oh, fascinating. And they, and they showed empirically that there is evidence that that does happen. Okay. So are you saying I need, I need to start thinking of myself as more chill, and then acting more chill, and then people will think that I'm chill? Because Do no one's ever thought chill? that I was chill, and I've never thought that I was chill. <laughs> but that's a... Yeah. That's a trait that I would like to invite more into my life and how I move through the world. And so is that the key? Does it all start with me? It's all The power comes inside of you. It was inside of you all along. <laughs> the chill was inside me <laughs> all along. No, that's why I've been, I've been telling you for the last you know, year or so that I'm a chill, cool guy because I recognize <laughs> that I was not. <laughs> so I'm like, you uh, want to be. I'm, I'm trying to really embody that as much as I can. <laughs> It's like affirmations or like self-actualization or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of it's nice. It's, yeah, yeah, I do think there is there is a little connection there of of the trick though is in their study they did show you have to follow it up with the actual actions. You can't mm-hmm. just say right, I'm a nice person and be a jerk all the time. It doesn't no, work sure, that sure. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. So the third variety of this variety pack of validation. <laughs> That's good. I like that. It's very there good. You go. variety, yes, so. right, the validation variety pack. It's Beautiful. Good. I Makes me think it. of just fruit snacks. Like, we're going to put it in your lunch. Mm. You know what? 
what I wouldn't you give should get. for some validation yeah. in my lunch every day. <laughs> and if kids got that in their lunch every day, maybe they'd feel better about themselves. Because yeah. I feel like I really needed validation when I was a child. Mm. I need it now, too, let's be honest. Yeah. But, you know, you don't grow out of that. For sure. Maybe yeah. we can, at Multiamory, we can market some little, like, fruit snack variety packs that have little that messages say, like, of validation. You're the best. Or, or yeah. prompts, maybe some prompts, actually, instead of it being just canned messages, it could be. Well, that's good, yeah. You know, tell your partner your favorite things about them or think about. Oh, like, that's good. You know, something about yourself that you're proud of today, you know. Okay. Oh, yeah. I love that. Let's get that's in touch beautiful. with the snack manufacturers. It'll be like Conversation yeah. Heart style, like, so you could print on the Oh, candy. yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot to fit onto. That's a lot to fit onto a <laughs> tiny little. I was imagining on the packet of fruit snacks. Oh, I see. Okay, I see on the packet itself. Okay, all right. Well, we'll workshop it. We'll do some focus yeah. group. You know, <laughs> figure out what works. Okay. So the third variety of validation is less focused on our overall worth or our relative qualities, but about how understandable or normal our thoughts, feelings, and actions are. And again, this is self acceptance and self compassion. Karen Hall, PhD, said that validation is the recognition and acceptance of other person's thoughts, feelings, sensations, and behaviors as understandable. There that is again. That kind of threw me off last time, but mm. I understand what you mean now, Jace. It's understandable. It wasn't me. It was Karen Hall, PhD. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. Self-validation is the recognition and acceptance of your own thoughts, feelings, sensations, and behaviors as understandable. Like right. you said before, that people get where you're coming from. Well, and this is that self-validation is that recognition for yourself. Okay. Right? It's yeah. like uh, the feelings I'm having are understandable. Valid. They're acceptable. Or understandable. Valid. Acceptable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For example, if you're feeling hurt by something that someone did, but when you tell a friend about it, they just tell you why you shouldn't feel that way. We talked about this a bit with toxic positivity, but uh, if they try to like explain it away, it can feel really invalidating. Like our emotions or reactions just don't make sense, or maybe something's wrong with me, stuff like that. So that can be an example of not having self-compassion or self-acceptance because somebody else isn't validating your experience in that moment. And I think we've all been on the giving and receiving end of that times where we felt really invalidated by a friend or a family member or a partner and also times where we have done the same to a friend or a family member or a partner. The way that I tend to see this playing out with clients because I'm very, very big on helping to coach my couples, especially for like validating each other's feelings when they're opening up. The way that I often see this go awry is you know, one person opens up about their feelings of vulnerability or fear or what they're worried about, and the other person responds to it with what they think is reassurance of, oh, it'll be okay. Oh, no, no, you don't have to feel that way because X, Y, and Z. Or, or maybe trying to fix it, be like, oh, okay, well, we can do this and that'll fix it. And again, both things may be true, both sides may be trying to be helpful, but it can end up being really invalidating. So it's a really tricky thing. It's a really tricky balance. And I think we can do that to ourselves as well. We can try to logic ourselves mm. out of our feelings and oh, yeah. really invalidate ourselves. And Use the thing the is that, yeah, a fear of being alone, it's so deeply rooted in us as human beings. And if we feel like nobody understands our thoughts or our feelings, or, I mean, to give a callback, again, we feel like we are crazy 
for feeling the way that we feel, it can make us experience that really deep primal fear, even when we aren't actually truly alone. And there isn't actually a risk that we're going to be abandoned or that we're going to die from neglect or things like that. And in this area, it is possible to generate skills for better self-compassion and understanding. And also, as a bonus, it's essentially the same skills that you can apply to your interactions with others. Uh, You can help your partner, your friends, the people close to you get that much-needed validation, and that's likely going to increase the trust and intimacy between the two of you, which is going to lead to healthy, healthy relationships all around. Okay, so step one is to be present. and. Basically, what this means is just start by recognizing your own feelings, acknowledging them, or the feelings of someone else, if you're giving this to someone else, is just accepting that they're real. Even if you don't think those perceptions are accurate, or that their reaction is justified or true, but that the feelings are real. Same for yourself. It's like, even I'm like, I don't think I should be feeling this way, but start by accepting, but I do. And that's real, and Mm -hmm. and that's something that I can acknowledge and accept, that that feeling is real, regardless of why I might feel that way. Because attempting to deny the emotion or just tell someone else that they shouldn't feel that way or that, oh, no, you don't feel that way, You, you actually feel this other thing, that that doesn't do anything to help us get over it. And it's like Dedeker said, it comes from this place of wanting to reassure, but it's not, actually. It's not, it's not as helpful And the same with ourselves. If we just try to deny ourselves from feeling these things, we're not helping ourselves get past it, actually. It's counterproductive to what we're trying to do. So number two is just the facts, ma'am. So (laughs) ask yourself what exactly happened in the situation that you were in. So not just like your guesses about what other people intended or, yeah, trying to figure out motivation or stuff like that. Just the facts, of what exactly occurred. And then ask yourself, what are you feeling physically and emotionally? For example, instead of Jake's over being friends with me, whatever, which is why he canceled on our lunch, something like that. Like essentially putting a reason behind what occurred, saying like, this person doesn't want to be friends with me anymore, so they canceled on our lunch, and that's why that happened. But rather say to yourself, I started feeling upset and a little angry today when Jake canceled on our lunch. And I'm also feeling like my stomach is in knots. So maybe there's some fear or shame there too. So you're literally just speaking about yourself and the feelings and the facts of what occurred and not placing any external, this is what occurred onto somebody else, you know, because they hate me now and they don't want to be friends with me. I had a counselor years ago who this this came up a lot for me, this type of thing. And you still say like everybody hates me. Does do. everyone I hate still, us? I still struggle with this. Yeah. But the thing that she would say to me whenever I would bring up something like that, what you know, it'd be like, Oh, I you know, I did a a show last weekend. I performed at this bar with my band and just like I feel like everyone just really hated me and just like couldn't wait for me to get off stage. <laughs> and her her response was almost always the same was basically a variation on the same she's like how do you know that did Mm. someone tell you that did all the people tell you that you know kind of getting to like what well what actually happened how do you know that and and just kind of asking that question of like what do you actually know what did you perceive what were the feelings that you had when that happened and and acknowledging those and realizing Mm -hmm. they're real 
while not invalidating that, but still just being like, okay, well, let's let's try to understand what really happened. What are the objective facts that we can identify, including yeah. how you're how you're feeling about it physically too? Yeah, yeah, yes. And that leads to step three, which is doing your best to name the feelings. And this can be tricky, but you know there is research that we pulled for a different episode. I didn't have time to pull it for this one right in this moment. That does say that you know people who are better at being able to name their feelings generally have a. I think it's like a better sense of well being, better like emotional intelligence. That like this is a, a skill that we can cultivate, and having feelings is a great time to practice it. So mm. you can ask yourself questions like, what might someone else feel in this situation? Am I feeling anger? Is it fear? Is it sadness? You know, and then you can ask yourself, what kind of action is this feeling compelling me to take? That may give you some clues. So it could be, I want to cry. I want to run away. I want to punch something. I want to crawl under my desk and, you know, bury myself alive so that no one will see how shameful I am. That can also really give a lot of clues about what's actually going on in your feelings. I struggle so much with identifying my feelings sometimes. I feel like some mm-hmm. I got I got on lock, but sometimes I'm like, I feel something. I don't know if I'm sad or if I'm scared or if I'm excited. Like I can't quite tell which it is. This also came up in some of the articles out there talking about this, which is just this idea that many of us have certain emotions that we confuse for each other or that we're not good mm-hmm. at telling the difference between. And so this is sort of an exercise to practice that. Like, I, I'm not good at telling the difference between fear and excitement, for example, or not good at telling the difference between sadness and anger, perhaps. Or, you know, it's like, mm. could look a lot of different ways and learning to become clearer on it, like Dedeker was saying, getting better at naming those things can help you handle them in a better way and have just better overall well-being. And then step four, once we've done this, we've accepted the feelings as they are. We've tried to get to just the facts of what happened and physically how we're feeling and then trying to name it. The fourth one is compassion and normalizing. And that's basically that everyone has emotions and that we don't always understand them. We don't always want them, but it's perfectly normal to feel that way. And that no one's happy all the time. No one's motivated all the time. No one's energetic all the time. That's just if we were happy all the time, we wouldn't. it wouldn't be happy. It would just be, it, we wouldn't have a word for it, right? Like we have a word for happy because there is the contrast to it. There's, there's other things to feel besides that. So don't beat yourself up over it. Like, yeah, it's, you're not always going to feel good and that's normal. Also to accept that other people in your situation would probably feel similar to how you feel and acknowledge that an impact your history might have on these feelings and that that's also not a bad thing. So again, it's like, okay, I know I'm overreacting to this, or I think maybe I'm overreacting because I have some history that this brought up. I have some baggage or this hit some trigger of mine. That doesn't mean your feeling's not valid. It, it's totally understandable. It's You can accept that you have that feeling while simultaneously acknowledging, okay, this might be influencing that. Or maybe some other factor of just, I didn't sleep well enough this week. I can acknowledge that's affecting me, but also accept that my feelings are still real, that they're still yeah. valid and someone else in the same situation would probably feel this way too. Now, if these feelings sort of caused you to 
maybe fly off the handle in a moment or have a moment of weakness or get a little too intense. None of what we just talked about necessarily means that you have to agree with or justify the actions that you took or want to take or that you're justifying the actions of somebody else if they did that in turn to you. But we're just talking about simply feeling and validating what happened and you know those feelings validating that experience and validating what you were feeling in that moment right so you can offer validation for the feelings without agreeing with them or saying like yeah you're right to feel that like you know sure. again if you're giving this validation to someone there else there is a too, difference there there's yeah. a difference between saying yeah your feelings are right you should have punched that person instead it's like i can totally understand how you know what from what you upset told you were me, in the moment given yeah. your history like i could totally understand feeling that way also you shouldn't have done that and also maybe i'm even going to hold you accountable for that especially if you know if it's something you did to me or maybe to someone else when i was there it's like i could still hold you accountable while still validating that you had those feelings and not saying like you're broken for having those feelings because that's not going to help the person change that behavior and it's not going to help yourself if you're the one who who messed up too yeah, it is challenging kind of parsing out like the feelings versus the action taken because one can be valid and okay, while the other is not necessarily. So yeah, just kind of distinguishing between those two. And I think that makes a person a really big person if they're able to say like, hey, I understand where you were, this place that you were in the moment versus saying like, yeah, uh, I understand what you hit that person or freaked out in that moment. And and pro tip, if you're trying to validate a partner's feelings, mm. get information from them about what they're feeling. It doesn't work. Yeah. Don't try to tell to, them. Right. What they don't were try feeling. to tell them. Oh yeah, I can totally it. understand why you would like totally freak out and get so pissed off and like fly off the handle if that's yeah, <laughs> it's totally normal to feel that. No, like no. You can ask these questions too. You can be curious about the thoughts that came up for them, what they're feeling physically and emotionally. You can bring that compassionate curiosity. And then validate the feelings that they say they were feeling. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Actually, in the article, there are a few different articles that these steps were based off of. But in some of those, some of the advice was actually to, if you're trying to validate someone else, to guess what they might be feeling and try to validate that. And I was like, "Mm, Mm, no, we've read a lot of other studies saying that that's not a helpful (laughs) thing to do and that we're really bad at it as humans. So I was like, no, bad, bad bad but i did validate their feelings i can understand why you might think that that's the right thing to do (laughs) well done (laughs) anyway this has been a fun ride through the world of the validation variety pack a fun journey through the looking glass eating a variety pack of snacks along the way yum now i'm hungry well hopefully feeling all right about ourselves so just as a quick recap All of these are referred to as validation, right? As external validation or internal validation. And some people will tend to demonize external validation in some of these situations. And really, in all of them, we need a balance. And it's just about that. So the point of this episode is to give you some tools, some things to think about to examine that for yourself and maybe evaluate. Yeah, okay, I think I am maybe leaning a little too heavily on external validation in this way, whether it's about what type of person you think you are or how good of a person you think you are, or whether your your feelings are understandable or reasonable. 
So thank you all for joining us. In our bonus episode, we're going to be looking specifically at a researcher who looks at social media and external validation, which, of course, we've talked about a little bit, but we're going to talk about that a little bit more, see what sorts of things that she found. So we would love to hear from you. On our Instagram, we're posting our question, when do you feel validated? The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is also on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Research for this episode was done by Dr. Kiana Nurse. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.